We are at week one, week one of a four-week series called Life After Death. Life After Death. Now, this series, of course, is all about eternity, and uh, 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 there is mystery behind our life after death. There's a, there's a lot of thought that goes on, goes on with people. Uh, it seems to be mysterious and can often become um, scary to some people and a bit overwhelming and some people just don't even like to talk about it. But one of my burdens and responsibilities as your pastor is that I need to have you ready. I need to make sure that you are ready for eternity. That's part of my responsibility. How wrong it would be of me to only have you focus in on the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have in this life here on planet Earth. And, and yet have not prepared you for your eternity. Because we know that there are some things about eternity that we will not know in this life. We don't understand it all. But there are some things about eternity that we can know and we can know right now. I'm gonna be sharing some scriptures and different things and you can follow along with me. There will be projections here behind me on the screen if you don't have a smartphone or are not following along that way. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says these words, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has, sent, he has also sent e, set eternity in the human heart. Let me say that again, because this is an important part. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is saying to us right here that God has hardwired every single one of us, every human being, God has hardwired every one of us with eternity in our hearts, in our hearts. Now listen, that means something like this to us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or a non-believer. It's not only for church people. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what skin tone color you may have. It doesn't matter what, uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus since you're three years old and maybe you're sitting here today and you are professing that you are an atheist. It, it just doesn't matter. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. He set eternity within each and every one of us. Every one of us, all of us, have eternity hardwired in our hearts. When you go to the book of Genesis, uh, it, it tells us that we are made in the very image of God. And honestly, obviously, we don't really understand what all of that means, all of what that means to every one of us. But there is something that we can understand with that. And that is we know that God is eternal. We know that God is eternal. God exists outside of space and time. And that means God is forever. Our God is forever. But listen, listen. The same is with you and the same is with me. Every one of us, every one of us, we are eternal beings. Eternity doesn't begin the minute you die, but eternity begins the moment that you are conceived. Let me say that again. I want it to sink in. Eternity doesn't begin the minute that you die. Eternity begins the moment that you are conceived in your mother's womb. The life that you are living right now, it's only but the very beginning. It's the very front end of your forever. We're living this right now, and we're just in the beginning of it. Your eternity is already in session. In other words, I say it again. You don't start living forever once you die. You start living forever once you are conceived in your mother's womb. And the Bible tells us that God has put that reality, that truth, in your heart. It's in you. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, it's in you. God has done that for every single human being. The Bible tells us that God has put that reality and truth in our heart, and it goes, it's, excuse me, it's God's fingerprint 
on the human soul. So if God is eternal and we bear his image, that means, that means that we have been created by God to live forever. You will always be. You will always be. And I will always be. We will be forever. And deep in our heart, we intuitively know that because of what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that God has put this in our heart. I want to pause right now just for a moment because a lot of people really don't like talking about death. I understand it, man. I really do. I've been dealing with it for a lot of years, many, many years of my life. And uh, a lot of people don't like to talk about death. They don't like to, to uh, discuss anything. They don't even like to think about it if they would have their way. Some people we're talking about, whoever, maybe you're here, maybe you're not. But to help us through some of that, I thought that the wisest thing for me to do, and I think you're gonna agree once I tell you what I'm gonna do, is that I've invited Marianne to come and assist me in this series. So I'm gonna give her about a five minute, five to 10 minute window every Sunday that we're doing this. And what we're going to do, she will and I will share some rather incredible stories about people who have experienced death. I mean, this is incredible, and I'm gonna let her take over right now you're in charge, girl. That's dangerous. Is it on? Yes, ma'am. It's on. That could be dangerous letting me up here. He knows that. All right. Heaven. Imagine understanding it. People all over the world will show up to hear someone talk about heaven. Whether they would admit it or not, everyone wants to know if there is life after death. After all, the death rate is 100%. Over the next few weeks, I will be reading some stories and testimonies from two books. The first one is called Imagine Heaven. It's by John Burke, and it is filled with, um, let me put it this way. He compares more than 100 gripping stories of near-death experiences, they're called NDEs, to what scripture says about some of our biggest questions of heaven. Burke shows how the common experiences shared by thousands of near-death survivors, including doctors, college professors, bank presidents, people of all ages and cultures, even blind people, point to the exhilarating picture of heaven promised in the Bible. The second book I'm going to read a little bit from is 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. I'm going to be reading from this book by Don Piper and part of his testimony today. I want to begin by saying this, and I want you to hear me very carefully. You have to be careful with any book of a person's personal experience because it can't put it, we can't put it on the same level that we do the Word of God, the Bible. But if it agrees with Scripture, then we can. I also want to remind you of this. God is a very personal, individual intimate God with each one of us. He knows every single thing about each one of us. And he relates to each of us on a very personal, individual, intimate level. The research on NDEs shows many common things about heaven, and it also reveals personal, individual, intimate things as well. I remember my daddy saying this. I remember it clearly. He would say, you may not be able to accept the whole kit and caboodle, but don't go throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So take what the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart and hang on to what lines up with the word. And if you can't accept it all, just don't throw the baby out with the, with the bad. 
I want to read to you now a wonderful portion from the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's Don Piper's testimony. Listen to what he says. He begins by stating, heaven is real. I know it is because I've been there and back. As strange as that may sound, it's true. As much as I can communicate with words, I want to share that experience. The problem is that no one can explain an experience so perfectly that everyone can feel it exactly as it happened. I can only try. <clears throat> I died on January 18, 1989. Crossing the bridge over Lake Livingston in Texas changed my life forever. That was the day I died and went to heaven. Two EMTs, and possibly as many as eight, examined my lifeless body over a period of 90 minutes, and each pronounced me dead after an 18-wheeler mangled my Ford Escort with me inside it. Unable to get me out of the vehicle, they covered my body in the car with a tarp. One second I was alive, and the next I stood at the gates of heaven. As I try to explain this, my words seem weak and hardly adequate, because I have to use earthly terms to refer to unimaginable joy, excitement, warmth, and total happiness. Everyone I met continually embraced me, touched me, spoke to me, laughed and praised God. This seemed to go on for a long time, but I never tired of it. My father was one of 11 children. Some of his brothers and sisters had as many as 13 children. When I was a kid, our family reunions were so huge, we rented an entire city park in Monticello, Arkansas. We Pipers are an affectionate bunch, with a lot of hugging and kissing whenever we came together. None of those earthly family reunions, however, prepared me for the sublime gathering of saints I experienced at the gates of heaven. Those who had gathered at Monticello Park were some of the same people waiting for me at the gates of heaven. Heaven was many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiated light engulfed me. As I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything that I had ever seen. With all the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. I don't recall that I tasted anything, but I knew that if I did, it would be the most glorious thing I'd ever put in my mouth. The best way I can explain it is to say that I felt as if I were in another dimension. Never in my happiest moments had I ever felt so fully alive. I stood speechless in front of the crowd of loved ones, still trying to take in everything. I wasn't conscious of anything I'd left behind and felt no regrets about leaving family or possessions. It was as if God had removed anything negative or worrisome from my consciousness, and I could only rejoice at being together with these wonderful people. They looked exactly as I once remembered them, although they were more radiant and joyful than they had ever been on earth. Age expresses time passing, and there is no time there. 
All of the people I encountered were the same age they had been the last time I saw them, except that all the ravages of living on earth had vanished. Even now, years later, I can sometimes close my eyes and see those perfect countenances and smiles that surprised me with the most human warmth and friendliness I have ever witnessed. I felt loved, more loved than ever before in my life. When they gazed at me, I knew what the Bible means by perfect love. It emanated from every person who surrounded me. At some point, I looked around, and the sight overwhelmed me. Everything was brilliantly intense. Coming out from the gate a short distance ahead of me was a brilliance that was brighter than the light that surrounded us, utterly luminous. As soon as I stopped gazing at the people's faces, I realized that everything around me glowed with a dazzling intensity. I wasn't blinded, but I was amazed that the luster and the intensity continued and increased. Strange as it seemed, as brilliant as everything was, each time I stepped forward, the splendor only increased. The light engulfed me, and I had the sense that I was being ushered into the very presence of God. A holy awe came over me as I stepped forward. I had no idea what lay ahead, but I sensed that with each step I took, it would grow more wondrous. And then, I heard the music. I'm going to stop right there and leave you on a hanger. Six million copies in 46 different languages have been printed of Don's story of 90 minutes in heaven. Heaven is a real place. The more we know about it, the more we should anticipate it. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And someday, my dear church family, it's going to be this. Last breath here, next breath somewhere else. My desire is that for those of you who are facing death, maybe even right now, and or have a great fear of death, that as you hear some of these things and as we go through the series, I don't want you to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. God has everything under control. And you're going to learn some of that today as we go on. So listen, listen. The truth is, the truth is, listen, you don't really die. You don't really die. Hang with me. Yes, your physical body is going to cease to exist, but you will never, you will never cease to exist. As Marianne just said, someday it's last breath here and the next breath somewhere else, wherever that may be. That's what's going to happen. That, that's how it is. I'll dig, you, dig a little bit deeper as we go into this. Every person conceived in the womb will, uh, will live somewhere for all of eternity. And actually, the Bible tells us that we will, we will exist in one of two places only for all of eternity, for the rest of our lives, forever. You will live forever. You will not die. You will live forever. And I explain this as we go along. I have some scriptures I'm going to go along here with this. And th this is incredible. The things I'm going to share with you, I think, are just incredible things that I'm going to say to you. And as I go into the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, New Living Translation, listen to these words. For we know... For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and we leave our earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body uh, made, uh, made for us by God himself and not with human hands. 
We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we put on the heavenly bodies, excuse me, for we will put on the heavenly bodies, but we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, it says bodies a lot in this particular verse. It says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we will groan and sigh. And it's not that we want to die and to get rid of the bodies that clothe us. Rather, rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Go with me to verse 6 of that same chapter. And it says, so, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Go to verse 8 of that same verse, of that same chapter. And it says, um, Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for we will be at, for when we are away from these bodies, excuse me, uh, then we will be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord himself. So the Bible tells us, and in fact, that last verse, another way that that is translated, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, so what's our goal with all of this? What, what, is, what is the goal? Why, why do we exist what is our assignment while we're living in these earthly bodies and or living with our heavenly bodies? What, what is all of this about? Go with me to 2 Corinthians, same chapter, go to verse 9 of that. And it says, so whether we are, whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal, our goal is to please him. Everything about us is to please him. That's the way we should be thinking right now in our lives. Everything we do, every secret that we have, every opportunity that we have, it should be always with God, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going, whatever I'm a part of, I want to please you. We're, we are to please God. Our goal is to, pre, to please Christ. Our goal is to please and honor our God. Our goal is to do, uh, to do this forever and ever and ever with God. Go with me to verse 10 of that same chapter, and it says these words, and it says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our, in this earthly, in our earthly body. Ultimately, we need to, to, uh, we need to remember that uh, whether we are here in this body or away from our body, our goal is that we will always want to please Christ. We want to please to please God. So let me go back again to verse 9 of that same chapter. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Our goal is, goal is to please him. One of the main reasons why we are dealing with eternity is because what you believe about eternity, it determines how you live today. I think I can prove it to you today. That what we believe about eternity, it determines on how we live today. So if you're here today and if you believe that there is no God, there is no eternity, there is no heaven, uh, then you're probably going to live a very selfish life. You will, your life will be all about you, living your life for only your pleasures. The only, uh, that, that, the only thing that's going to bring life to you are those things that this world has to offer us, and that's a very temporary uh, provision that it would give you. But... If you believe that there is a God, and if you believe that you were created by God for God, for his glory, and you are confident that you will live somewhere eternally, and the Bible tells us the somewhere is heaven, listen, then that's going to shape the way you live. If, if you really believe that there is a heaven and that there really is this thing that God has set before us, that's gonna shape you on how you will live. What we believe about eternity would determine on how we live our lives today. You will live somewhere. Your physical body is going to cease to exist at some point and you will live somewhere. 
Let me give you a little commercial here. For your information, um, we are going to be talking about some of the horrors of hell in our series. We're going to talk about how hell is real and what happens in hell. And when I do those, when I do that sermon to dedicate it just on dealing with hell, probably you're not going to want to have your kids here. I'm assuming. That's your call, your mom and dad. But I would assume that you may not want to do that. In fact, next week, I'm going to be, I'm not dealing with hell next week, but I am going to be dealing with this one question, and that is, why would a loving God send people to hell? I'm going to answer that question. This is going to be a little bit deep. This is going to be a little bit challenging for some of us, but it's a good question. It's a legitimate question. Why would a loving God send people to hell? But we're also going to talk about heaven. It's not going to just be about hell. We're going to talk about heaven. Who goes to heaven? What do you do when you're in heaven? Is heaven boring? I can only imagine it's nothing but a church service forever. It's not. Believe me, it's not. It's not. Today, I want to quickly cover three things that happen after this life is done. I want to cover those three things. And actually, we've already done number one. Number one, the first thing that happens is, is that our physical bodies will, our physical bodies will die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews 9, verse 27, it says, and, uh, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes Judgment. Recent studies show us that death is going to happen, is what that verse says. Uh, recent studies show each and every one of us today that on June 2nd, 2019, it is still true. It's still conclusive, without a doubt, that one out of one people will die someday. They will die. We will die someday. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know where. But be assured, every one of us are destined to die once is what the scripture says. The Bible tells us that. What happens when we die after uh, life is gone? Well, the second thing that I want to talk to you about is our souls will separate from our physical bodies. Our souls will separate from our physical bodies. In the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 18, and it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Maybe another way to say it would be something like this. Don't fear people. Don't fear people, but live in reverent fear of God. Live in a reverent fear of God. You see, when your body dies, your soul continues to live. Listen to me. At your funeral. And yes, there will be a funeral for you. That is going to happen. At your funeral, the good news is this. You will never be more alive than you are at that particular moment of your funeral. You are never more alive than you are at that moment. Your soul still lives. And uh, even though our body may cease to exist, your soul still lives. In the New Testament, Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead now for four days. Four days he's been dead. 96 hours, somewhere around there. And uh, the original King James Version says, and his body stinketh. Today we wouldn't say stinketh. We would say that Body smells stanky, not stinketh, but stanky. But anyhow, Jesus said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus looks at her and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? We also know in the scriptures that there were two thieves that were on either side of the cross with Jesus, and both of those two were guilty. Both needed forgiveness. And one of the criminals cried out to Jesus and said something like this, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. 
remember me. And by the grace of God, and not by any good works that this man has done, he was either a thief, a robber, he was deserving of capital punishment, he committed a capital crime, he is a sinner, he is bound for hell because of sin in his life and not repentance. And Jesus answered this man and he said these words, truly I tell you today that you will be with me in paradise. Did you hear that? This guy who is guilty, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And again, I want you to remind you that he is a sinner and you don't get to go to heaven because you do good works, because you give the church money, because you are, are going to church on a regular basis. That doesn't get you to heaven. The way you go to heaven is when you believe in God and when you ask him to forgive you of your sins. The third thing that happens when you die, the third thing, look at that, we're already at number three. The third thing is, is that we will, fall, we, we will all face judgment. We will all face judgment. Number three, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, beginning there. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, but through, though your faith is much more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. The word of God simply tells each and every one of us that there is a day that is coming and you and I are going to have to learn to endure, to endure. Remember, this world is not your home. You're just passing through this world. These years of this life here is a short period of time in, in comparison to anything of eternity. This is just a short, very short period of time. And at the end of life, you will be judged or you will be rewarded. At the end of your day, at the end of time, you will be judged or you will be rewarded. So let me show you two different things, two different judgments that are going to come to each and every one of us, every one of us. One of these two things are gonna be happening. The first judgment is called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. I'm gonna be very honest with you. What I'm going to read out of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, are very difficult for me, Randy Chiz, to even say aloud. And the reason why I say that is because there are people that I know and I love with all of my heart who are not saved yet, who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet given your life to Jesus. And my friend, it's not that we're trying to get you to come to our church. Go to whatever church you want. In fact, you don't have to go to church in order to get to heaven. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin. But if you're gonna go to church, come to this church because it's the best around. But anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow, these verses kill me as I read them to you. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the book, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. Listen, all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone who's not, whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
the lake of fire. Eternally, the lake of fire. Most scholars believe that the great white throne judgment that I'm talking about right now is only for the non-believer, and honestly, I believe that myself. So the question may be, so what is the lake of fire? What is the book of life? Well, I'll talk about the lake of fire at another time, but the book of life. I don't know what you do, but in my prayer time, every day when I pray, one of the things I say in the beginning, opening of my worship and thanksgiving to God is that I thank him that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am so grateful, my name. How about you? Same with you. Just grateful. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. What we know is, is that Jesus is the Son of God, and he was born without sin. He, he's called the Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, in other words, Jesus died in our place. We were the ones that deserved to be beaten and smitten before God because of our sinfulness, but Jesus took all of that on himself. So when you come to the place like that criminal was on that cross by Jesus, and you know, you know your end is coming now. It's, it's soon to happen. At those moments, you recognize that you, you have a very great need set before you. And in that need, you can call out to God. You can cry out to God for his grace, the grace of Jesus being on you. Because you are not saved by works. You can't, if you're coming near the end, you can't. Very seldom can anybody turn all of the wrong around to be, make it right. So what happens is, is that when you call out on Jesus, because you are not saved by, by, by works, uh, both you and me and whoever you may be, you are saved by the grace of Jesus through your faith in him. And that can happen right now. It can happen even as I'm speaking this word. You can say, Jesus, become my Lord and Savior. He will do it. He will do if you would call upon him and cry out to him. He will get you through. And when you call out to Jesus to forgive you, to rescue you, at that point, at that point, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Or the Lamb's Book of Life, as I mentioned, you are saved. But if God looks for that book and your name is not written in it, let me say that again and your name is not there in the book of life, the scripture says your next move when this life is over, you'll still be alive. You'll still be alive, but the next place of your forever residence is not a place that you're going to like, and you will never enjoy being there, never enjoy being there. And at that moment, for all of us, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, our eternal destination is irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Let that sink in. At the moment, that particular moment, when it is over and we have, our physical bodies have died, and we now enter into that realm of eternity, our eternal destination is irrevocably fixed and eternally, eternally unchangeable. There are two judgments. The first we know as, um, we know as the great white throne judgment. And uh, I want to ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? The second one that we're going to do, and this is going to be my conclusion, is that we find here the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The judgment seat of Christ. This is amazing. This is wonderful. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things while in the body, whether good 
or bad, whether good or bad. This is great news. What I'm gonna share with you now should get your heart beating a little bit faster and maybe even wanting to go to heaven sooner rather than later. It's very important to understand that the judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment for your sins. It's not for what you and I have done wrong. Listen, this is a judgment for those who are followers of Jesus, followers of Christ. And thank God as a result of you being a follower of Christ, you have asked him to forgive you, forgive you of your sin and he has done that. Your sins are forgiven you. But listen close, this is the place where Jesus acknowledges what you did on earth is rewarded in heaven. What you did on earth is going to be rewarded in heaven. This is what Jesus is talking about. Well, PR, I thought you said that we're not saved by good works. We're not. We are never saved by good works because you can't be religious enough. You can't work hard enough because the problem, our problem we have is that we are, by nature, we are sinners and our sin separates us from a holy God. But we are saved by the grace of Jesus. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace but we are rewarded by our works. Did you hear that? We are saved by grace, but we are rewarded by our works. And the reality is when, you truly, tr uh, when you're truly transformed by Jesus, when, you no longer, uh, when you're no longer what and who you were, and suddenly now you see that there's something different inside of you, you are a new creation, that's called being born again. When you have given your life to Jesus, when you've called upon him and you know, I'm changed, man. I'm not the same who I used to be. I'm thinking different thoughts. I'm acting in different ways that are better and more wholesome. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. You are born again because you have been changed by the love of Jesus and you get it. You don't have to work for your salvation. You understand that it's a gift that God has given you. And what you want to do from that moment on is that you want to give all the glory, everything good that happens in your life, it goes to God because God, you have been so good to me and you want to bring him that honor. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. You are never the same again. You are saved by grace, but you are rewarded in heaven for how you have lived your life with works, whether good or bad. You're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account for my life. The things that I've done right and the things that I've done wrong. Maybe even some sins still that are in my life that I'm not paying any attention to that I'm gonna be held accountable for. I, I need to take care of those things. You need to take care of those things. So, so just so you know, what you do matters eternally. How you live your life, how you respond. Randy's biggest failure is other car drivers because nobody drives as good as me. Anyhow, what are we gonna be rewarded for and what will we be judged by? I'm telling you, my friend, the list is very long, but I'm not gonna do that to you. Let me just mention a few things with how you will be judged and how you will be rewarded. This is incredible to me. I wept through this whole thing. I'm gonna be the best that I can not to weep right now as I close off. But you will be judged by and rewarded for how you treat people, how you care for people, how you care for the least of these. I told you in my growing up years, I was so wicked in mockery and picking on people for whatever I could think of, whatever I would see about them. Thank God that's not in my life anymore, but I know I'm gonna give an account for that. I know that I'm gonna have to stand before God and give an account for my sinful way. He's going to judge us in how we treat people. The outcast, the broken, the poor, the marginalized. You will be judged by the words that you speak. And here's another sobering thought. You will be judged by how you endure suffering. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are suffering today? 
You've got something going on in your marriage, something going on in your family, your kids, your health. You will be judged. I will be judged on how you endure your suffering and rewarded if you endure suffering well. God will reward you for that. You will be rewarded and judged by what you do with what you have. And my question to you is, do you use your resources to be a blessing or is it all about you? Is it just for you? Is the, your pockets filled with money and you're not helping whoever, whatever, whenever, wherever you find yourself? You will be rewarded when you bring somebody to Christ. This is so humbling to me. This is so amazing to me to think that God would do this for me, for you, for us. But the Bible tells us you will be rewarded by Jesus for leading people to Christ. Can you imagine all of a sudden, boom, it's over. You're dead, you're, this life is over, your body is dead, your human body is dead, but now you're there before the, the Lord himself. And one day as you see Jesus, as you're walking toward him, I, I, I don't know if you're gonna be able to stand before him or if you're gonna fall flat on your face, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming I, I will fall flat on my face, I, but maybe you can have your shoulders back and meet him face to face. God bless you if you can do that, but anyhow. <laughs> But anyhow, all of a sudden, you find yourself standing there and you're kneeling or however you may be before the Lord. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he takes this crown. And he takes this crown and he places it on your brow. Turns you around and looks at you eye to eye and he says, well done. Well done, my faithful and good servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. And when that is happening, Jesus is going to turn you around and, and he's gonna say, let me tell you what I mean by well done for you and what it may be for you and me and others and people around this world, well done, he would say. He would say something like this, well done when you were serving in our life kids, well done when you were serving in our life youth, what you were doing, the influence that you had in their lives, the things that you said, the things that you did, how you loved them and how you cared for them. And today, they're still serving God. And they're going to be with me forever because of what you have done. Well done. I put eight years in crucible steel before I went into ministry back in the 70s. Those guys were tough. But my God is tougher. And I had opportunity to lead some people to Christ at that steel mill. And God is going to look at you and whoever you are, you prayed. You prayed for your fellow workers. You prayed for them to know Jesus, and they do. Well done. Well done, he says. I noticed that you have always, you, you, you have done what was, excuse me, I noticed that you have not done what was simply, but you did what was right. You always look to do what was right in every situation that you face. Well done. That's the right way to go. Jesus said, I noticed that you always use what you had to meet the needs of other people. You would take what you had and you would give it to them and, and bless them with it. Well done, Jesus says. I noticed those things. I remember those things. It's recorded in the book. And then all of a sudden, Jesus will say this. You visited me when I was in my prison. And you comforted me when I was sick. You gave me food when I was hungry. And you gave me water when I was thirsty. 
And you're going to sit there and you're going to look at Jesus and say, when did that happen? When, when did I give you? When did I visit you in prison? When did I comfort you when you were sick or give you food when you were hungry or water when you were thirsty? And Jesus will look at you eye to eye and he will say these words. When you did it to the least of these, my people, you did it to me. What we believe about eternity determines on how we live our lives today. Would you bow your heads, please? I want to say a quick prayer. And my quick prayer is this. Heavenly Father, I ask you that over these next few weeks, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help everyone, every one of us, to recognize the power of the truth that what we believe about eternity will really impact how we live our lives today. And that we would keep our eyes on the prize, living for you and always bringing glory to your name. Would you please keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. I want you to consider this. If I could have our intercessory team come on up, intercessors. You can never, you can never be right with God through any religious works. You can't. The good news is so good that only Jesus, only Jesus can give us what we need to help us change our lives from the inside out. It's God's love for us. He became one of, one of us in the person of Jesus who was without sin and therefore he was qualified to be our eternal sacrifice for the sins and our sins to be forgiven. He shed his own innocent blood on the cross and died in our place and rose from the dead. Why? Why would he do all of that? so that anyone, including you and me, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, forgiven, and transformed. And it doesn't matter how bad you are right now. It doesn't matter how much wrong you've done. It doesn't matter how much trouble you're in. When you call on the name of Jesus, he hears your prayer, and he forgives you of all your sin. And I believe that there are many who are in this room right now who are thinking about eternity, thinking about some of the things we've talked about and more of what we're going to talk about in the next weeks. That you know that there's something missing and you have a need. Maybe even like that one who was on the cross next to Jesus. You see that there's a need and now only you can do something about it. Only you can cry out to Jesus. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, one more time, please. I'm asking you, if that's you, if that's you in this place, in this room, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. But if that's you and you're sensing, you know what, Pastor, you are right. I, I need to have God forgive me of my sins. I need to be right with God. I need to turn to Jesus. I want to give him my life. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hands right where you are right now. We'll lift them up and hold them up. And I want to have an eye to eye with you because I want to acknowledge you. I thank you. I thank you over here. Give me a hug. Give me in the back. Thank you, sir. Over here. Anybody else down here in the front? Over here. Over here. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for these who are here today, who are acknowledging that Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I pray that, Lord, you would move in each of their hearts, move in them mightily, and your prayer could be as simple as this. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, take over my life. I want to follow you. It's just a simple prayer. And so, God, I pray for them as they pray these prayers that you would be glorified and adored in Jesus' name. Amen.